Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa Bhutang Tamang Sanghang Namasami. This is the last talk of the Rains Retreat. Next Wednesday, the Pawana ceremony. And uh, during this retreat, uh, I've often tried my best to inspire, to teach, to lead by example as well as by words. And uh, in order that everybody, when they come here, for whether it's a few weeks or a few months or a few years, that they grow. But it's not a growing sort of in things like jhanas or even enlightenment, because those are things which sometimes that we think are more like the goal of the path, whether they're the results of the path, and not actually what you do, what you aspire towards. Because we're trying to aspire to something much deeper than all of that, which is just peace and stillness and understanding. And sometimes we can make life so complicated, you know, by having sort of aspirations and goals which we don't really know what they are. You know, often uh, talk about people trying to get enlightened. They haven't got a clue what enlightenment is. You know, whether when they get there, whether that's really what they wanted to get to in the first place. So the whole idea of wanting to get someplace and you don't really know what it is. Wanting to get a jhana, trying hard to get a jhana when you don't know what a jhana is. You can see that there's something very dangerous, very wrong, you know, in that type of attitude. Which is why instead of trying to attain things, and at the end of a retreat, sometimes we think, you know, what did we get? How much did we achieve? And that's the wrong attitude. Instead, we just, uh, how much have we let go? How much have been abandoned? How much more free do we feel? And how much more peace is in our hearts? How much more understanding do we have about the nature of this body and mind in which we live? Because those of you who are traveling overseas, leaving this monastery, go to other places, yes, the outside changes, but the inside is always the same. Maybe a different monastery, a different country, maybe changing a hut for a house. But really that's just on the outside. It's just you know, the inside, the world in which we spend most of our time, our attitudes, our perceptions, our thoughts. They're the things which we'll always take with us. And so we want to find out just you know, how this body and mind really work. And you know, what is the secret of peace and what is the reason for anxiety and restlessness? And, you know, it is all this retreat. The only thing which I ever teach is insight meditation. <laughs> I wanted to say that. <laughs> because there's no difference between the insight meditation and peace meditation. But focusing now, on insight, it's just like understanding how this body and mind actually work. And we do this, you know, through a lot of time, trial and error. And I told a couple of people during their interviews, it'd be wonderful if I could just 
distill, you know, the stillness which I have, you know, just try and take it out and put it into a pill to give to other people. But you can't actually do that. You teach, you guide, but in the end, you, know, you have to have one's own experience. And sometimes that experience is, you know, through a lot of time just going on the wrong direction, getting frustrated, getting sort of suffering, not knowing what you're supposed to be doing and just having a hard time. But in the end, it's worth it. Because sometimes that's what it takes for a person to actually to learn how this body and mind actually work. And having the responsibility of leading a community and teaching them, which is not a responsibility I take lightly. I really try and put a lot of effort into teaching and encouraging. But a lot of times uh, all I really can do is to provide the opportunities. And it's not just the physical opportunities of good food and the hut to stay in and keeping it reasonably quiet. It's also encouraging you to have these retreats, to be by yourself. And sometimes it's very tough being by oneself. But this is actually where we really learn. It's tough, but it's worth it. It's the only way sooner or later, you know, in the circle of samsara, the round of rebirth, sooner or later, one has to actually to stop and learn, to actually to face up to the defilements instead of always being being uh, chased by them. And sometimes that's what it's like in life. You're always being chased by something. You're not quite sure what it is, but it never allows you to be still. It always keeps you on the move, changing places, changing jobs, changing partners, changing whatever, always being chased, thinking that if I get rid of this, then my suffering, my problems will end. And as you know, that the teaching which you know, I've said that yeah, you know, you change one thing for another thing, you get rid of Bodhinyana Monastery Dukkha, and you get another Monastery Dukkha. Or you get rid of this uh, Jhana Grove, and you go to your house, it's just one form of Dukkha changing from another form of Dukkha. It never really solves it. The outside is many different forms of Dukkha. There's being a lay person Dukkha, and you change that, become a monk, you have a monk Dukkha. You know, you... You were just a visitor before Sangwara who just became Anagarika. Now you're Anagarika. Now all you're doing is exchanging one form of dukkha for another form of dukkha. And when you become a novice, I don't need to be in the kitchen anymore. Yeah, you just, but now you have to be novice, you have novice dukkha. And then you become monk, and then you have monk dukkha. And then you become senior monk, and you have senior monk dukkha. Then you become abbot, and you have abbot dukkha. And then you retire, and then you get retired monks dukkha. And you go and do something else, and something else dukkha. Have you ever noticed that? Wherever you go in the world, it's never satisfactory, never satisfying. <coughs> That's all, always, I think it's a simile somewhere in the sutras, the dog with the mange, going from one place to another. Never realize they're carrying this with them. So when we stop... And during the rains retreat, this is why we have the rains retreat, you stop, your escapes are limited. They're not totally cut off. It's actually impossible, even the strictest of monasteries, to cut it off. Even in army camps, which have very strict discipline, you can't cut it off. 
Just remember, just one of, this is old stories just to make the talk interesting. Remember just Pabakaro, he was in the military in the Vietnam War and he said when they're in their boot camp, someone managed to sort of get a note out and order some pizzas. And the pizza delivery guy came, you know, threw the boxes over the fence and they took their pizzas into their hut ready to eat them all. And of course, you know, the sergeant came and caught them all. And for their punishment, he got these hot pizzas, put them down their trousers and the front and rubbed them into their, you know, you know, what's. <laughs> and afterwards, no one wanted to eat anything and they were all really dirty. <laughs> Even in army, I think Marines or something, you can't get away with it. You know, you can't always catch people because that's not the point. The point is just like having that responsibility we learn by ourselves. We indulge, and what happens? We restrain, what happens? We put in situations where we've got no escapes, what happens? Now we have a few escapes and we follow those, what happens? And hopefully that being in the spiritual life as a monk, as a novice, an agarika, visitor, man, woman, whatever country, whatever religion even, hopefully you've come here to contemplate, to learn. A lot of times when people, lay people, you know, they try and catch you out with deep questions, what's the meaning of life? And the meaning of life is actually learning, becoming wiser. Because it is always a wisdom power which overcomes suffering. It's a wisdom power which leads you into the deep meditations. It's always wisdom power. And if there's something which you learn in this monastery, hopefully, is the importance of wisdom power. Way, way, way more important than willpower. I don't know, maybe Ajahn Bhamadi might know where this sutra is. I remember reading a long time ago, there was almost a contest between Venerable Sariputta and Venerable Moggallana. I think Venerable Sariputta was like sewing a robe and Venerable Moggallana came to court into a meeting or something, and Venerable Sariputta was you know, saying, well, I should finish the row first of all. And Venerable Moggallana used his psychic powers, which was willpower, to try and stop him sewing. Couldn't do it. And I think that was a point. I may recall this not correctly, but it was something like that. And the moral of the story was, with all the willpower of one with great psychic powers, who could not overpower wisdom power of Sariputta. He said, wisdom power, Panya, is far more powerful than willpower. I always remember that little anecdote, which is somewhere there, and maybe in a Mahayana Sutra, I'm not sure, because sometimes you get these things mixed up. But I don't actually really care where it's from. It's a very good teaching there, that all the willpower in the world, all the struggle and the striving, will never get you anywhere. Just gets you tense, gets you frustrated. But it's the wisdom power which is what frees you. Which is one of the reasons why we put you in your huts for two weeks at a time, give you very little to do, and sometimes people would love things to do. Simply because you've got no escape, you have to face you know, the defilements in the mind and learn how to become wise. To understand them. 
And of course, all the way, the, the teachings of the Buddha and whatever I can add to it, it's always telling you. You know, say simple teachings, and I don't mind keeping repeating them because they are very powerful. Once you understand them, then I don't need to repeat them anymore. You know, the two types of meditation are two attitudes, second noble truth and third noble truth. If there's any suffering in your life, in your meditation, in your daily life, whatever you're doing, the Buddha said it has a cause, which is craving, wanting. And if there's peace, the end of suffering, that must be because you've done some letting go. The four ways of letting go, which I've taught in other talks. You've done something, which is let go of something. That's why you find peace. So in your daily life, you know, you do have moments of suffering, you have moments of stillness and peace and happiness and contentment. Don't just take any of those two for granted. Understand their causes. And don't use willpower to try and overcome the suffering which you experience in life. I'm going to try harder to meditate. I'm going to try harder to get my own way. I'm going to try harder to get all these little escapes and use all my (coughs) skillful means to beat the system. It's not a system here to be beaten. No, it's a system here which is giving the opportunity. And you can take that opportunity or you can just throw it away. It's up to you. You can take as much of it as you can handle from time to time. But eventually... You know, the wisdom starts to arise. The insight. Every time I want something, every time I crave for something, I just have this tension inside. This pain. This pain of craving, of wanting. This activity of building, making, making something happen. And all the thoughts which go around that. And you realize that that is suffering. And there are times, there are moments, and hopefully you remember those moments too, when the suffering vanishes. Why is that? Okay, it could be you've got what you want. At last, you know, I've got sort of, you know, my iPod, I've got it downloaded, I've got whatever you, you know, get into, I've got it. But getting what you want is not the cause of happiness. It is because that craving has just vanished for a little while. You satisfied it by indulgence. The wanting is a source of craving, and the end of wanting is a source of happiness. But by indulging cravings, sort of, yeah, you get a little bit of boost of happiness for a short while, but then the cravings come up again. And so the contentment, the happiness, the peace, the satisfaction just doesn't last. And that's the way of the world, goes round and round and round until you die and get reborn again, round and round and round again. Always changing one form of dukkha for another, having moments of contentment when you get what you want and then you want something more. It's never enough. That's why they say never satisfying. Because I remember doing Latin at school, satis means enough. It's making enough, that's what satisfy means. It makes it enough. But it's never enough. So there is another way, which is why many people actually turn to meditation, to Buddhism, seeking another way out of this always indulging, get what you want, happiness for a short while, then wanting something more, continual 
work to be done, never finished. It's like having a kitchen which always has to be be cleaned every moment. It's never finished. It's a work which is never done. Like your body, your mind, it's always something more to do. And there's an alternative there. And this is the alternative which you know you keep talking about. It's the alternative which <coughs> you know I first found when I was just a lay person, just meditating just by chance, just didn't want anything, just blissed out. And other times in my life, which I look back upon, the happiest times of my life, it's never when I, when I got what I wanted, because that was so transitory. The happiest times of my life is when, for one reason or another, I never wanted anything. Just totally content. I remember even the first time, these are old uh, anecdotes from other talks, the first time I felt contentment in my life, and I can remember this, I had a half-day holiday from school. Only half a day. I must have been about 13 or 14 at the time. And instead of going playing soccer just, you know, before we had our school lunch, you know, I managed to stay in the room and just quickly finish all my homework for that night. So I had my lunch, and when the lunch was over, you could go back home. I had no homework to do. All my duties had been completed. And when I walked out of that school, I had this wonderful feeling I was free, free from all responsibilities and burdens. I didn't have any homework to do, didn't have any any appointment to keep, no jobs to complete. Everything was done, and the afternoon was totally free. I can go wherever I want. I never had any plans. And that was the most important thing. Never, no plans, no duties, nothing to do. You felt so free. Even as a schoolboy, you know, when all the people asking you to do things and do your work and study more and get better grades in your exams and, and your friends, you know, being smarter, being cleverer than other people, better at soccer, better at chatting up girls, whatever it was, there's always pressure on you. But that afternoon, I had no pressure on me at all, totally relieved, I can just be. No place to go, nothing to do, nothing to achieve. These moments like that gave me contentment. Other times, just working, just on uh, vacation jobs. I remember just working in a place close to Hyde Park in London and just having my lunch in Hyde Park, a few sandwiches, and sitting by the lake, which was actually called Serpentine, and sitting by that for you know lunchtime for a few weeks in the springtime, and just sitting down there just watching the ducks and just having nothing to do. No one to talk to, no work to do. And just that beautiful contentment of having nothing pressurizing you. Nothing pulling or pushing you, nothing holding you back. Totally free from all wants. And it's moments like that just rhymed you know, with Buddhism when you came across the Buddhist teachings saying that happiness comes from letting go of wanting and craving. Not being attached to things, letting them go, not being the great control freak, but someone who can just sit down and be with things in this moment with kindness rather with controlling. Kindness is the opposite to control. And when you can understand that, you get these 
moments in monastic life and in other parts of life as well, but especially in a monastery where you just sit there and in your heart there's nothing else you want in the whole world just to be here. Now, it may not always be like that. Maybe just only a, a few seconds you know, in the whole last three months. But it doesn't matter if you just have a few moments like that, sitting down, perfectly content, not wanting anything. Forget about meditation, getting jhanas, getting this and learning Pali, learning the Pati Moka, being the good monk, being the good lay person, becoming wise and memorizing all the sutras or whatever else you're trying to achieve in life. Letting all of that go and having nothing to do. No reputation to live up to, no goal to achieve, nothing to reach out for, nothing compelling you, no craving, no wanting, no need for anything else. And sometimes you get those moments and when you get those moments, they're moments of freedom and bliss. Nothing to want in the whole world. In my last talk, just describing my retreat, just always remember, just don't try and attain anything. Don't reach out for anything. Just learn how to be. As I said in Good, Bad, Who Knows? You see, very few human beings in this world. Many human goings. Many human doings. And they hardly, very rarely see monk beings, monk goings, monk doings, monk making something. Sometimes they're making something inside of themselves, trying to make them into a, a really, what you think is a good monk. Instead of trying to make things and be a, a human going, a human doing, a human making, it's really great to be a human being sometimes. Just being here, not doing anything. It's one of the reasons why I love walking meditation. I start at one end of my path, and I always remember a few minutes later I'm back where I started, I've got nowhere. It's lovely doing something where you don't get anywhere, where you're not achieving anything, where you're not going to get a report card, where you're not going to make any money, where you're not going to get a certificate at the end of it, where it's not going to increase your reputation. <laughs> Well, you're not going to be smarter, cleverer, more peaceful. You're not trying to get anything at all. You're just being. And how free that is. I know that some people say, oh, that's just being lazy, Ajahn Brahm. You should go and, you've got the opportunity, develop your mind, develop your wisdom, make something out of yourself, improve yourself. How can you improve on nothing? If you ask something, yes, you can improve on that. If you realize there's nothing in here at all, you can't improve on nothing. Nothing is the highest, as I kept on joking at the early part of this range retreat, nothing is better than Jesus. <laughs> nothing is better than God. Nothing is better than anything. <laughs> nothing rocks in this monastery. <laughs> well, that's very wonderful to understand that because 
That means you're not trying to improve upon something, get something, change something. You think, I'm stupid. There's no one in there to be stupid. So if you think there is someone in there and the stupidity sticks to you, being smart sticks to you, being attained sticks to you. That's the opposite of analaya. It's at his alaya, the place where these things stick. And of course that's suffering. The anal, the <laughs> analaya, the, one of the ways of letting go in the second noble truth, that's nothing sticks to you. So all of the striving, all of your goals, all of the stuff which you hope to achieve in the last rain, this last range retreat, all of the things you hoped, I'm going to come to spend a range retreat at Bodhinyana Monastery, and this, this time I'm going to crack it, this time I'm going to really do something. The only thing you crack is your own head, and you suffer as a result. So it's not a cracking anything, it's just freeing things. Abandoning, letting go, liberating. These beautiful words, which when you get your head around what they're pointing to, all words are signposts. Where are they pointing to? They point to having a mind which nothing sticks. Totally free. You say something smart, it doesn't stick to you. You say something stupid, and even that doesn't stick. It's nice to be stupid. It's nice to be wise. And none of them actually stick to you. They just go right through you like the wind passes your face. It doesn't linger anywhere. And all of those beautiful, beautiful ideas means that we've got nothing to do, nothing to attain, nothing to judge myself with. Now that is a great insight. That gives you these moments of total contentment and peace and freedom. It is a taste of Nibbana. That's what it's like. So I was telling some people, just as I said it in one of the talks earlier, sometimes imagine that you're a Buddha. Just sit down and meditate. Cross your legs, maybe full lotus or whatever you thought the Buddha sat as, but in most of the um, the statues it was, you know, the half lotus or just Burmese posture. I don't care how you sit. But it just cross your legs and imagine you're a Buddha. Imagine it, sitting there. How would a Buddha meditate? Would he say, okay, cross legs, uh, watch the breath. Uh, should I do vipassana, should I do samatha? Ask the Buddha. Should I do metta meditation? Uh, maybe I should complete all these thoughts about you know, what I'm going to do later on this afternoon. Buddha doesn't do things like that. So imagine you're the Buddha, totally free. We've got nothing more to attain. Done what has to be done. Imagine, just imagine that. Imagine that. And that imagination, it creates a reality. Maybe it's not the truth, it's a bit fake, but it's still, it gets you pointed in the right direction. You're sitting down there imagining you're a Buddha, meditating at Bodh Gaya under the Bodhi tree or in the Anathapindakas Park, the Jeta Grove, in the Gandakuti, just sitting there just meditating, totally peaceful, totally free. You know it works. You get the taste of freedom again. Because a lot of times we've been so brainwashed, 
so conditioned into trying to achieve something. The time you're brought up, unfortunately even at preschool now, they're trying to teach you how to achieve, come and learn the English, learn how to play with blocks or whatever it is you have to achieve. Stressing out, you're not doing the blocks good enough. Your plasticine skills are not up to scratch. That's what we used to play with when I was a kid. Yeah, plasticine class. They never leave you alone when you're very young. They can't just be. You have to be the right thing. You have to be good, play in the playground, have lots of friends, be smart, be pretty if you're a girl. And the pressure is on you from the very beginning. Don't drool, don't throw your dummy away. Whatever it is, always people controlling you. And after a while, you know, you, you get sucked into trying to please others. You get rewards if you please others. You get a smack if you don't. And that reward of always trying to please others eventually just drives you crazy. And you always think, you know, you can't please people enough because they're unpleasable, which is why people just have low self-esteem. They never think they're good enough. You understand why? People are always turning you off. I realize that so well that it's very rare if ever I turn anyone off here. You've already had enough people tell you off in life. You know, I don't need to do that. And also you tell yourself off as well too often. You may come across as being confident, but when you're by yourself, so no, I shouldn't have done that. I'm a bad monk. I'm a bad novice. I'm a bad anagoric, a bad, bad, bad. I like that word, bad. I don't know why. <laughs> but this is, <laughs> this is sometimes what we do to ourselves. Because we're judging ourselves, giving ourselves standards, giving ourselves expectations. And one of the most powerful teachings which I've developed, and I th it was just personal one, just personal insights. Sometimes I think I get it from other people, but I haven't seen this over in the suttas, but you may infer it from the suttas. I didn't hear it from another monk or teacher. I very rarely read or listen to other teachings. Just lowering your expectations. What a beautiful teaching that is. Lowering one's expectations. How far? To the max. To zero. So when I meditate, I sometimes lower my expectations to absolute zero. Nothing. What does that mean? It means you expect nothing. You're satisfied with whatever happens. And when you do that, when you really do that, not just to 0.1%, but zero, absolute zero, because you don't expect anything and you're happy with whatever happens, you get blissed out of your skull. And you do that a few times, think, gee, there's something very important here. What are you doing? You're doing third noble truth meditation. No desires, no cravings. By lowering your expectations to zero, you find the way, the peace, the happiness, the freedom. Because what we're trying to be free from is free from craving. Craving is the source of the defilements. Get free from craving, this force in the mind, which always says it's not good enough, you're not good enough, you have to do something, get rid of this, get rid of that, change it. 
And it's just all you ever do, change one form of suffering for another form of suffering. It's endless. But after a while, I say, I'm not going to change anything. I'm going to be at peace with this moment right now. I'm going to open the door of my heart to this moment. Emperor's three questions, which I've been talking about a lot in the, to visitors. This in front of me, whatever it is, whatever mind state is here right now, the most important time, this mind state is the most important mind state in the whole world. And all I need to do is to be kind to it, to care for it. That's all you need to do. That's a whole path. A full path in three stages. Now most important time. This, this thing inside of you, especially when you're meditating, feeding in the body, you feel saliva, there's a sound of a summer banging a door, that is important. Don't try and think that that is a distraction, that is a disturbance. It's not a disturbance, it's important. Be kind to it. Because it's teaching you something. It's giving you the opportunity. It's not the sound disturbs you. It's you disturb the sound by rejecting it, by trying to make it different, try and get rid of it, try and to do something about it. It's more doing, more disturbance. So, such a powerful way of meditating. You know, instead of saying, I should watch my breath, these are the 16 stages of Anapanasati. No, Samatha first, then we pass no, or the other way around. The ways of doing meta meditation. Uh, you know, sit down, I'm going to do this first and that afterwards and that something else. And what do I do when I get tired? What do I do when I get itchy? All this stuff which I wrote about, all the rubbish I wrote about in Mindfulness, Bliss and Beyond. It's not rubbish, but you know, it's just for people who need that. But for the wise people, keep it simple. Right now, this moment. What are you experiencing now? Please give that importance. It's fundamental. Just care for it. Be soft, be kind. If that's all you ever do. Phew. Again, not only blissed out, but you'll be enlightened. Powerful. You know, in the time of the Buddha, he just, Sutta, we just chanted the fire sermon. Very simple. Well, those guys were supposed to get enlightened afterwards. And then, oh, there will be Bahia in the scene, just the scene, her, just the herd. You know, all those very simple teachings. Somehow or other in the Western world, we get so complicated, so complex, and we need more complex teachings, and more complex teachings, and more complex teachings. I always want more. Sometimes I think to myself, you know, how many talks do you want? I gave a talk once a week, and because, you know, then you get some more talks on the iPad, you read books. How many talks do you bloody well need? <laughs> so, so crazy. One talk is enough. <laughs> if you really understand it, take it back and do it. So after a while, <laughs> after a while you know, <laughs> Sometimes you get the message. And simple teachings are the best. And you take those simple teachings and you really get into them. This moment. 
There's nothing outside of this moment. There's nothing more, the past, the future, the, they're just fantasies, I make them up. And this moment is important. It's when I value it and give it importance, that's when I have no ill will, no craving to get something more. I don't judging it as if it's, you know, I've got to get something later on, which is much better than this moment. This moment right now is all I have, and I'm a human being now. I'm being here. I'm being kind. You stay like that long enough, you understand what this moment is. You understand experience, the five candors, how it all works. You understand the enemy is this will, which has always never lets you be. It never lets you be still. It's always telling you, go and do something else, go and make it something else. You start off that with your life, you know, just go and be wealthy, be successful, make something out of yourself, go and build a home, go and amass wealth. It's always, and then you come to a monastery and it keeps working at you. Come on, become enlightened. You know, the spiritual materialism, always trying to get something more. In this retreat, what did you get? Did you get nimittas? Yeah, I got a nimitta. Ah, that's nothing. I got nimitta the first day of this retreat. You got jhanas? What's jhana do you get? First jhana? Ah, that's nothing. I got first jhana in the first week. I'm up to fifth jhana now. Fifth jhana? That's nothing. I got, <laughs> that's, that's absolutely crazy stuff. We're not doing this to try and get something and compare ourselves with other people. So hopefully that I know that talk with Upasama just you know these interview this evening and just it's not what you attained it's how much have you lost on this retreat what have you lost so when you those of you leaving when you go home and say yeah what did you get on this retreat so what do you mean what did I get I didn't come here to get something I came here to lose things and that just turns the whole practice around. You're not coming here to gain, you're coming here to lose. Lose attachments, lose defilements, lose stupidity, and lose craving. At least to lessen it, to weaken it. So wherever you go, you can just sit there, not wanting anything in the whole world. Your aircraft is late, you just sit there just happy as Larry. Larry again. I'm just happy just being there, just, well, I've got to be somewhere. Who cares? Plane will come sooner or later. But, you know, I'm not at my destination. I'm enjoying just being here with nothing to do. In these busy airports where people are buying food, shopping for stuff, they're always doing something. So much activity going on. You're just sitting there, and people say, what are you doing? Nothing. And I want to talk to you and say, sorry, I'm busy. I'm doing nothing, okay? <laughs> so, all that sort of stuff. And you really enjoy yourself then. It's a craving which is a problem. It's the irritation. It's pulling you, pushing you, never allowing you to be still and enjoying this moment. That's what you cultivate. And that's the insight. That's the understanding. And just a few moments of that is all you need. As long as you remember that. Powerful. Wow. There's a, a, a slit in the curtains, which is, I know on the other side is peace, is happiness, is joy. There's a slit there I can see through. I've got a glimpse. 
the, <coughs> the taste of the freedom. And once you've got the taste of the freedom and you're smart enough to remember that, don't remember all the times you've been suffering and crazy and just climbing up the wall and down the wall and, and just messed up. Don't remember those because that's normal. You don't learn from that. Learn from the few moments, even a few seconds on the last three months when you've been peaceful, when you've been happy, when you've been contented. Learn from that. Why? What was happening? Why? Even though that same as any other day, maybe colder, maybe hotter, same food, maybe not as nice as the food yesterday, who knows? Same amount of sleep or less or more, but all those things are not important. Maybe sick, maybe healthy, that's not important. What's important is are you happy to be here? Content. And you know it's a crazy thing. But you can be content absolutely anywhere. Even remember I had scrub typhus and that was really terrible pain and, and I never had such low energy as that ever. And I just can't even just can't even bend up. And you have to gra- grab on. I can remember this because it happened every day you had to get to the toilet. And you know, I had bad karma. My bed in this ward was a long way from the toilet. You know, if you get the bed next to the toilet, that's you know, the Rolls Royce bed in that ward. And just try and prop yourself up, hanging on. Those old metal uh, beds with the... the um, the like metal railings on the the headpiece and on the foot of the bed, grabbing onto that and just looking. It's only about a couple of feet away to the next bed, looking at that. And am I ready yet to to actually to go for that next bed? And you lunge for it, hope you won't fall over and collapse in a heap. It's only a foot. Reach out for it and just grab onto it and steady yourself. You've got no energy, no strength in your legs or your arms, and just slowly. And it is slowly you work your way to the end of the ward. No bedpans, no nurses to help you, all by yourself. And you get to that toilet, squat toilet. We don't squat, you sit down, you can't, no energy to squat. And you just do your stuff, you stay there until you don't want to do that too many times. And then you wait, you make your way back again. And exhausted, you lay down there, just absolutely low energy. And even then, you know, you'd just be totally content. It's amazing. It's just, you don't need to be strong, healthy. You don't need anything just to let things be. And that was one of the great experiences which just gave you that confidence. Even when you're dying, you know you can let go. No energy, pain, nothing. No strength to do anything. You don't need your will. Just let it go. Just be. And get so much peace and happiness. So that's the insight which comes, you know, on this, hopefully, which comes from these teachings and this opportunity. Out there in the world, you're always asked to do things. Always another place to go. Another teacher to visit. Another another type of meditation to learn, another technique which is going to be another one for you, 
another sort of book to read, another plane journey to take, whatever it is, there's always something more. When will there be the end of this? Always something more. How much do you need before you can just stop? And of course this is what we do, we learn how to stop here. Stop trying to achieve things. Stop trying to make things different. Stop trying to improve yourselves. Just stop. It's incredible what happens. When you do stop, don't begin again when things start to happen. Oh, my mind is peaceful now, now I can meditate. Don't mess it up. So often it happens that people really do stop. And look, the signs of stopping, you get peaceful, you get happiness, things start disappearing, beautiful lights arise in your mind. And I don't know how many times people start up again once the lights come up in the mind. And I just, oh, come on, you guys and girls. Just stop all the way. And you stop, 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 stop wanting anything. And then all these things come to you. The beautiful simile of the donkey and the carrot. That's one of my best. Not the best. Ajahn Chah's sitting under the mango trees, perfectly still, and the mangoes fall into your hand. I love those similes because that is how it works. And every time you shake the mango tree, <laughs> nothing falls at all. You just get tired and frustrated. You think, I can't do it, there's something wrong with me. Maybe other people, they were born to sit still under the mango tree. Me, I've been born to shake. No way. You all have the choice, the opportunity. Maybe you don't have the courage sit still say courage because it's scary to do nothing it's not what you're used to but after a while we just sooner or later each one of you gets so frustrated you're trying everything and getting absolutely nowhere sometime in your life you know maybe on your deathbed hopefully much earlier than that so you can enjoy enlightenment sometimes you just get to this point of total absolute frustration and say, well, let's stop. Let's let go. And all these great things happen to you. And you maybe remember teachings like Ajahn Chah's. Think, oh, how stupid could I be in all those years? So, in, so right there in front of me. And why couldn't I see it? Talked about in the suttas again and again and again. But then you do it. You let go. You stop. And the mango just falls into your hand. One after the other after the other. Beautiful, sweet, juicy. Contentment, peace, freedom, liberation. The end of samsara. Wow. That's a talk.
namasrami Sapati Pano Bhagavato Sam